Hi, and welcome to MC Podcast, episode 40. Glad that you could join us today. My uh, in-studio guest is uh, the one, the only, the great, the magnificent, Lynn Crabtree. Lynn, welcome. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Good morning, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I figure, you know, a guy of your of your stature and ability and uh, um, renownedness should should have such a... Uh, you already got a raise, so you know, you know, ease off. I'm trying. I'm just trying. You know, I mean, hey... There's, there's always next year, right? That's right. <laughs> so we might as well start early. <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like at the bank that Christmas club thing, where you uh, where you start paying in for your you know your your Christmas savings account for the withdrawal. Y- you know yeah. for the withdrawal yeah. back yeah. you know on Christmas. So I mean here it is March, but I'm I'm already I'm already banking points. Padding the withdrawal. I hear you. I might as well. Well, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good to see you. You know, I, I, we talked this morning. Uh, before the podcast, you and I, we've kind of been kind of been missing each other here lately. We just been it's been different directions. Yeah, right? absolutely. You going one way, me going another. When when I'm here, you're gone. When when I'm gone, you're here. And I think uh, uh, finally this week we've kind of we, you know actually it was today. You yeah. know, today we actually kind of well, we got had to a few down. minutes to catch. We up did. Anyway. We did. We did have a few minutes to catch up. So, uh, but today what what I really wanted to talk about, Lynn, was with a with a saturated market. And wanted your opinion and your thoughts on this with the saturated milk market, low milk prices. Um, in fact, I uh, heard this week that uh, that Dean Foods was canceling some contracts in um, uh, in Wisconsin. Wow. We're given ninety days, and, and um, you know, w- with a with a kind of unstable milk market, what I wanted to talk about with with you and I was kind of maximizing income over feed costs. What can we do to really um, to really be able to maximize how much money we're 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 making and how much money we're by uh, against how much money we're spending on a ration. Sure. So, what are some things that we can do in in that feed arena to be able to really uh, to maximize production, but also you know maybe maybe lower the cost of that ration a little bit. Uh, you know, how, how can we really maximize on those things? So that's what I wanted to cover today. I think there's some interesting things that we can throw out there on the table. Maybe somebody hasn't thought about it, you know, that, that would make some, uh, that might make some, some, some help for somebody. Uh, I, the, the thing that is such a, an issue here is that we are so diverse. I mean, yeah. each one of our dairies are out there and we are, we may not hardly any of us be in a position to do what exactly we would like to do. Maybe that's a limitation on the amount of land that we've mm-hmm. got. You know, maybe that's a, a, a limitation on what, what would be available in our area, commodities, what commodities might yes. be available. Yeah, no doubt, no you doubt. Know, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are going to affect that and make each dairy be different from one another. So you can't say that there's an extreme ideal out there right. that, ah, this is, this is nirvana and this is what you need to shoot for uh, because of the limiting factors and from the geography and where we're at and, and, and the dairy and the management that's available to us and all those things. But I also think that there's some things that you and I can talk about this morning that might be helpful. Yeah, no doubt. You're exactly right. Because because what rations look like in in uh, the Northeast, New England, New York are not at all what diets look like in California. That's right. You know, and um, you know, and, and even diets in, in Pennsylvania aren't even what are aren't necessarily even what diets look like in Wisconsin. You got dairies that raise all their feed. You got dairies that raise none of their feed. You got dairies that purchase all of their inputs. You got dairies that purchase very little of their inputs. You know, and I think. That 
that I think that uh, we, we all kind of look and see that the grass is greener on the other side of the hill and, right. and, and envy some of the things that maybe that our, our neighbors are doing. We wish we could, uh, but we need to we need to take stock and be practical of what we have and, and, and apply that to us to do just what you said, maximize that income over feed costs because that is that is somewhere between, depending on who you listen to, 60 to 70% of the cost of, of, of milk production. Right. Today, so. Yeah, yeah, that the feed costs are, no doubt. Um, and so uh, so here, here we are, at least it's a big chunk. And so what can yeah. we do? What can we do? You know, a, a small a small change in a big chunk of something is actually a big change. Right. And um, and so definitely want to be want to be looking at that. So I think, you know, one of, one of the things and I, and I you hit on it um, is is maximizing our uh, our own land base and uh, and the forage we get off of it. I mean, it's it's more expensive to buy in forage than it is for me to grow forage. Mm-hmm. And so so we need to we need to what are, what are some keys to maximizing forage production on 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 my acre on my my homegrown forage? What, what's what's the key to maximize? What are some keys to maximizing that? So I, you know I, I you know we, we apologize already to the guys that's out there that don't have the land base to be able to do just exactly this. But let's just let's just assume that we've got we've got enough of a land base to be able to raise the crops for the size of the herd that we've got. Okay. Yeah. And and so if that's if that is if that is as you say perhaps the best way for us to be able to maximize income over feed cost, we've got the acres to be able to support the the the, the feed stuffs coming off of that to to promote that. Uh, dry matter intake for that herd of cows. Right. So, no, number one, I think we want to start off. What does that kind of need to look like? Because there's probably a crop rotation that's involved that I think seems to get lost today in today's dairy. We seem to now we're corn company, right? And so we we want yeah oh gosh guys you know plant a lot of corn right. But I think that too many people want to plant corn a lot of corn maybe all corn mm-hmm. and and if they've got enough land base to be able to maximize their production I think they need to be looking more at a rotation okay. that are going to bring multiple crops in so that you're not feeding all warm season grasses you know into that dairy diet at one time because their KDKP rates are similar. Whereas your cool season grasses and legumes, their KD rates and KP rates are 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 different from a C4 grass, right? And so that the way that they would break down and complement each other in the rumen is a consideration from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. rather than look at corn silage is is more easy for me to harvest and to get up and to store. If we're looking at if we're looking at the ideal situation, then I think that we're looking at a combination of warm season and cool season grasses. And that can be, you know, it, it has historically in the past been corn silage and alfalfa. Right. You know, and, and that's still a that's still a reasonable diet. You know, grasses have moved into the equation now. We even put grasses that that have similar maturity dates to our alfalfas together so that we've got some legume and some alfalfa to complement each other in those fields. We've got annuals. You know, we've got uh, triticales that really yield, yep. you know, a, a, quite, a, quite a lot of dry matter. There's some other annuals, some, some oats, some different things like that that can be a, a consideration. We want crops growing on our land year-round. Year-round, yeah. And so on that corn silage ground, some of our some of the acres with some of the dairies that we're talking about can double crop. Right. Some can't. Well, well yeah. <clears throat> and but I but I think there's probably more that can double crop if they if they would um 
if if they would just kind of reevaluate and think about the way they're growing corn silage or even forage sorghum, you know. So I, I think there's a lot of guys who say, okay, I need to my my maximum uh, uh, day growing degree days lets me grow 118 day corn. That's what I'm going to grow. Mm-hmm. I'm going to grow 118 day corn, and and then it doesn't, but it doesn't leave them enough time to to put something in uh, a, after they've grown that 118 day corn or 15 day corn or whatever. I think I think there's some guys who could back down their relative maturity by 10 or 12 days. You are exactly right, but please understand that that the corn hybrids of today weren't some weren't similar to the corn hybrids back when 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 I was really steaming. They those corn those short season corns wouldn't stand you know to the southern movement right. very well right and so they wouldn't stand that um, you know that where you've got a hundred and eighteen day corn potential you know and you got enough heat units to finish that kind of a corn and then try to come in with a corn that's a hundred day or a hundred and five day those corn kind of fall apart on you and they wouldn't yield for you. Now, there's still corn hybrids that fall apart and right, won't yield right, on, right. you know, it, when you're moving them south. Right. But there's several now that will. That will. You're, you're exactly. So there are there are hybrids in in, uh, in our lineup that we will recommend to pull south and some that we will not. Right, right. You know, <clears throat> I, I think about it. We have a 90-day hybrid that will pull south, mm-hmm. and we have a 98-day hybrid that we will not, you right. know. <clears throat> I mean, it's just it's just that way. And and so so understanding that there are some of those that will work and some of those that won't work is definitely key to that. But, but a guy who, who can, you know, because basically what we're doing is maximizing yield and energy per acre, right? I mean, we've got to have enough yield to feed the cows, but we need to be looking at, at the quality of what we're getting off of that acre that we're planting too. It can't just be a big old pile of silage there that, that's not digestible, that that's not managed right, uh, but it's a big old pile. We we I mean you're right. Let's maybe let's let's find that that hybrid that we can pull south a little bit that 105 107 day hybrid, and then we have an extra week or two that we can get we can get some triticale in, or we can uh, we can get some oats in, or we can get something else in that we can take off maybe even that fall. Mm-hmm. And, and and again and again spring. in the spring, mm-hmm. you know, and and then we're we're maximizing how much yield we're getting off that acre and good quality stuff. So so maximizing that 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 homegrown forage is absolutely paramount for being able to to um, increase income over feed costs. Now, so guys guys are wondering, you know, what what percentage of the dry matter in the diet should come from the warm season, what percentage of the dry matter should come from the cool season grasses yeah. if, you know, if you were putting together your ideal dairy acreage and your ideal rotation, you know, the, the corn silage is going to out-yield the the, the 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 annual or the cool season grasses or the alfalfa, you know, it's going to out-yield yes. that for dry matter. And so if we have, like say in our part of the country where we could double crop everything, you know, we would have a we would have a third of our of our dry matter coming off in some triticale or oats and and or uh, alfalfa grass, and the and two thirds of that coming off as corn, corn silage. silage, and that's not bad. Fifty fifty is fine. Yeah, you know, or one third, two thirds is fine. But you know, some combination there of, of warm season, cool season, we could work with best to maximize passage and digestion. Definitely, as they, as they work together. You know, I, I just had a thought, and, I, and I'll throw this out, and maybe I'm maybe I'm right, and maybe I'm wrong, but most of the time I'm right. Um, yeah, I yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You have you noticed that? <laughs> so, um, but you know, I hear a lot of guys that that talk about like, well, 
okay, once I get enough corn silage in the bunker, I'm going to leave my corn and I'm going to take this corn to the elevator. I don't understand. And, and, and why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I, I mean, he's going to have to buy corn to feed, Mm -hmm. you know, and and maybe it's a storage issue, but, but at the same time, you know, a guy ought to really be looking at, at, at growing his own, his own, uh, his own grain and, 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 and putting that in and making sure that he's got, you know, if he's, if he's planting a hybrid, uh, it, that it, that comes from our lineup. There's no reason why if he's got extra extra acres out there, he shouldn't be growing that grain to feed because that grain has been bred and developed and selected to to maximize you know production and it, by by the the kernel texture by the type of that is that we're that that's what we're doing. So that guy should should never really haul that off to the elevator. He should bring that. He should should be able to maximize that that's and especially as low as commodity prices are right now. But you got to understand that that we have been in this country. We've been conditioned that we grow this great big pile of yellow number two. Y- corn, right. and it's a commodity, and we feed off of it for everything. And you are very much aware, because you work with this month in and month out, that these corn hybrids, I've seen numbers that you've shown me yep. that were up to 50% yep. more efficient than than other corn yep. that you yeah, were and, testing. And yeah, up to 50% and consistently 20 to 25, so consistently. Just it, that That is just allowing us to get that much more out of it while reducing the amount of starch, reducing the you know the the opportunity for any for any um, issues yes. in 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 the diet that the diet could create in terms of cow health and and just allowing for more effective fiber in the diet, therefore increasing our components. You know the, the thing that is going to help us increase yep. our income over feed oh, costs. Absolutely, uh, and so that that is a that is a strong consideration as is. Length of chop. Yeah. So so let's let's jump off on that for a second. Well, because I, I think that we have, I, you know, we say, look, maximize maximize your acre. Mm-hmm. If you're going to maximize feed come in, over income, maximize dry matter and quality off of your acre. But I think I think what a, where a lot of guys sometimes miss is, and you and you hit on it there, uh, is keying in on feeding for components, right? You know, keying in on on feeding for components, not just let's have this big pile, but but what's the quality of this, and what kind of protein and what kind of milk fat is this going to get me? Mm-hmm. And, and, and and you know, and and I think there are a lot of nutritionists out there who are doing that, but I but I think that they sometimes need to be encouraged by their by their producer to say, look, I'll take. I'll take a pound less milk per cow if I can get if I can get components up. And and I think that that sometimes I think that for for us nutritionists sometimes we go, man, all this guy wants is production. If I don't get production, I'm not going to keep a job and he's going to find some of milk in the tank. He pounds right? of milk in the tank and, and they and they've got this mindset that's like, "Oh man, if I don't get him, if I don't get him the, the maximum amount of pounds, then 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 my job's in danger." But I think sometimes a producer can go to a guy and say, "Look, I, I I understand, but we need to be we need to be feeding for components here, and and maybe it is maybe we take a pound less milk and boy that that all, that sounds woo, that's almost taboo right, but but what if we what if we can go from a three five to a three seven five butterfat, you know what what does that look like on my milk check? Well, with the numbers out here today, Mark, you could go ten pounds less milk, and 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 with the market the way that it is, markets the way that they are now they're already saturated that's not a bad thing as long as we can be more efficient so in other words i might be able to i might be able to make 85 90 pounds of milk more efficiently 
than I could make 100 pounds of milk. How much cost goes into getting that Getting that extra milk? 10 pounds of milk, We have yeah. always been conditioned that to understand that the higher I can get these cows to peak, the longer I can maintain that lactation curve. Yeah. And there and, and there is obviously some truth to that. It's been it's held true through decades. But there's some opportunities out there that it, if we're prudent about it and work through it, where we can be more efficient with the cost going into yeah. our diets. Yeah. And that once again is back to the individual dairy and, and exactly what is is uh, available to that farm. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some farms that I think can can let's 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 back down productivity and increase profitability. Yes. I, I, I think that there are, that there are those guys that are doing that. Um, and and so I, I think that that's definitely although and 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 I'll, and I'll say this it's not going to be for everybody because I was on a dairy in Tennessee uh, a couple of weeks ago who said man I got a nutritionist I got 10, 10 more pounds of milk but that ten pounds of milk did not increase his I mean this was just a he just went from one nutritionist to another who was a better nutritionist didn't increase his income over feed costs and still got him 10 more pounds of milk. And he said, man, he said, I made more money this year than I did last year. It didn't increase his feed costs. But it didn't it, increase his feed costs. It, it just increased it, his it, it just, it, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and that's part of it too. You know, I mean, if, if I think that I've maxed out a herd as far as, you know, if I'm making that 100, 110 pounds of milk on that herd, you know, maybe maybe I've maxed out the genetic uh, capacity of that herd. So maybe maybe I do need to back that down, you know, three, four, five pounds so that I can I can increase the, uh, you know, the, the, the butter fat, uh, increase the components and 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 increase my profitability. There, there's a world of good nutritionists out there that I've got a lot of respect for, folks that have got a lot more abilities than what I've got, and, and, and yet I get the opportunity to sit here and speak like I'm the expert, and that's cool. But one of the things that we can do on the farm to help our nutritionists is to be able to increase the, the effective fiber by bringing good quality, high-quality feedstuffs into play that are harvested in the right way, harvested in the right timing, yep. and, and then be able to, to bring that, that high... Uh, sugar plant into fermentation where I mm-hmm. in rapid fermentation where I can increase my chopping, mm-hmm. you know, and begin to allow to have more scratch in the room and mm-hmm. for them to be able to work with, which sets you up for a, a better opportunity to to stage your components. Right. So kind of the foundation of the house that you're building to be able to 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 build components. And I think that we I think we fail there sometimes. I've seen corn solids come in look like sawdust. Yes. You know that's ground so fine. Yeah. You know. I, and 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 the justification of that is I've got to get the I've got to get that grain broken down to where I can get that energy out of it. Well, yep. Change your corn silage, change, man. Change, change, change your hybrid. Yeah, exactly. No, and and so you know, so that that kind of that kind of leads into the next part here, is so so we we want them to to maximize their 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 energy and their pr- productivity, uh, not necessarily yield, but productivity per acre, right? Right. And and and, and then we want them to key in on components. But the other thing is 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 we've got to we've got to manage that for for high quality. Forages. We got to manage for high quality things, you know, and that and that does that that that's goes from starts at hybrid selection. Uh, it goes into you know management of of uh, nutrients and and soil fertilization. It also goes planting population. 
You bet. You know, I mean, there there are all kinds of things. So if I know that if I can back down my population by a few thousand plants, you know, I, and I'm not talking something drastic from going 36 to 18,000 or, or, you know, 36 to 24,000. But if I can go from 36 and, and maybe you've got, you know, there's places that I think they can make good corn silage at at, at 34 and 35,000 uh, plants per acre. But if I can back that down to... 31, I'm I'm going to do nothing but increase the quality of my corn silage. You're going to increase the quality of not only the fiber, which I think some people can understand that right. because because you don't have the, the, the tall, stiff, spindly stalks that you do when you have higher pops. You've got a much more robust, thicker stalk with less lignin. I think it's easy for people to understand that I might be able to increase my fiber digestibility, and you can increase it by backing down the pop like you're talking, right. 10, 15%. Yeah. It's incredible. But the thing that, that, that is kind of a, of a shocker to a lot of people is you back down those pops, you increase your starch digestibility it, as well. It, it, was, it was a shocker to me. We, we ran those trials for three years, yeah. a population study. And it was a shocker to me because I, I really thought that we would, I thought it would be the other way. I thought if we had a higher population, we'd have, we'd have more starch digestibility, uh, just less, you know, less nitrogen per plant. There was a whole, and that was just my hypothesis, but I was proved wrong for three years in a row when we when we lowered the population, we we increased um, starch digestibility and even even starch as a percentage of dry matter, which which really surprised me. And, and I think I think where you were probably going with this was that what we're doing is we're increasing the size of that corn kernel, yeah, and, and we're, we're making it bigger and deeper, and and there is there is more of that softer, flowery uh, starch in there that increases the starch as digest- a percentage as, of the hard as a percentage of the hard. There, there's there's more of it there, and um, you know when we when we we cram those plants together, not only do we get small spindly stalks, but we get smaller ears. Well, here's the problem, okay, and and it is that there is almost exclusively corn hybrids that are on the market today are those that are designed to be planted at high pops, and they don't flex anymore. Right. You know, you don't get that robustness when you back down the pop. You don't increase the yield. You just decrease the yield by the percentage of the pop you backed it down. Right. And so when and, and so when guys get a poor stand, they see that the yield went down in that area of the field where the stand is poor. So you talk, start talking to them about backing down pop, and they're and they're and they're crossing themselves and putting their hands over their ears because they say, "I'm not giving up yield." Not giving up yield. The problem here is is that we have lost we've lost insight into that there used to be and there is still, still. some flex in certain hybrid varieties yep. that are selected for that yep. and that has been something that you've been very instrumental in working with our our R&D team over the last 10 years is getting those hybrids that will flex right. as exclusive hybrids in your lineup so that you can you can take advantage of not only the digestibility of the of the uh, and the characteristics of that hybrid itself, but also you can maintain yield while backing a- down. Absolutely, a- a- those, uh, a- those absolutely, populations. yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of hybrids in our lineup. You could you can back them down, you know, from thirty six to to thirty two, and 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 not see any yield not see any yield difference and in, in them certain at all. parts of the country that are planting 30 32 you can back down to you, that 24 can, to 28 you, you can back down to that absolutely you know and, and there are there are places that are planting 
28 that I think you can back down to 26. Well, you can move out west and places are planting 12. Right, yeah, right, you know, right. But, yeah, yeah, but it's all it's all relevant. It's, you know, it's, numbers it's all are relevant. Not, yeah. Right. It it is. You know, one of the things that I that I wonder as I'm as I'm thinking through this, you know, so so proper proper silage management, you know, whether you know, we're talking about in the field, we're talking about growing it and and then you know, I think one of the things that we have to get over is that um, you know spending money to preserve good quality to reduce shrink in the silage pile is money well spent. You know, uh, a guy who's not willing to to buy a good silage cover and he's got spoilage and loss that's that's money that he that he's that that's he's going to lose more money when he doesn't properly manage that silage pile he's going to lose more money because he's losing he's losing quality he's losing dry matter he's he's having to throw away a lot of that he's losing money cuz he spent money to harvest that well let and, me throw this right back in your in your plate okay we're used to the circumstances that we're surrounded by and so folks are used to the corn hybrids that they have that they have seen and have planted mm-hmm. on their farm Okay, with the corn hybrids that we've got today that are de- that are designed for higher populations, right. and 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 when you harvest them, that that thinner, spindly stalk does not have a lot of substance in it. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about cellulose and hemicellulose yep. that 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 can provide some material that helps with packing the silage pile. Okay, all right. Yeah. So what we're used to is a substrate that is that is not conducive. To good fermentation, it's it's woody, it's brittle, it's dry, it's you know it's it, it doesn't have that that good juicy material that those okay. sugars yeah. Yeah. Uh, in it that are going to help and aid with fermentation. So we grind it really fine so that we can try to pack the air out of that material. I understand that that's the thing that has to be done until you begin to realize that if you would do some of the things that you're talking about, if you would plant a more flex hybrid, one that's going to, that's designed to have a bigger stock and it will, it will develop more of the material in that stock mm-hmm. that's going to aid with fermentation, yeah. aid yeah. with packing. Yeah. You can turn fermentation around in 24 hours mm-hmm. and you can likewise increase your chop length, which is one of the things that we're talking about that can help with this, with, with this, uh, 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 components and, yeah. absolutely yeah and and but even so so yes when you when you do all of those things to do that you still need to preserve it correctly absolutely you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so and so you're you're right you know you got a guy who's used to doing who's used to doing that sawdust type that fine really really fine chop stuff and um you know, and and just in and and packing and packing is important, and we need to pack all of the air out of oh, all yeah. of that. A- a- absolutely, and um, you know, but but if you're if you're if you want to skimp on, you know, here you go, you you do all of these things, and you lower your pop, and you manage this well, and you and you and and you uh, you get good corn silage out of the field, you get good quality corn silage out of the field, and then you put it in a bunk, and you don't inoculate it with a good inoculant. And you don't put a good silage cover over it. You're well, let me give you some statistics. Okay? okay, if if you're going to bring that corn into into the bunker, okay, mm-hmm. or into the silo or into the bag, you are going to lose some of your dry matter. I don't care who you are or what you've done. Agreed. You're going to lose Agreed. some of your dry matter. Agree. Now, if you have if you have had a very controlled fermentation, right. Under a very controlled fermentation, you're going to lose six, seven, eight percent of your dry matter. Yeah, 
I okay. agree. So agree. we get we fuss pretty much about what we've harvested out there in the yeah. field and what yields yeah. are like out there in the field. But if we're harvesting a corn solids that we can't ferment adequately, and those and those dry matter losses can easily in an uncontrolled fermentation ramp up to 16, 18, 20 percent dry matter loss. Yep. Now we're looking at at at, a, at at let's say we harvested twenty five tons in the field, but if we lost twenty percent of it, we only harvested twenty. You, you only harvested twenty and that got to the cow. That got absolutely that got to the cow and 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 we paid for that five percent. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean we, we, we paid for it and um and so you know a guy was like, Oh, that fermentation will be okay. I'll I'll just use my, we paid my for 20, five tons. Yeah, yeah. I'll use my I'll use my twenty five cent inoculant. Well, your twenty-five cent inoculant lost you, lost you five five tons. Yeah, and and what was that? What was that five tons worth? You know, compared compared to your twenty-five or thirty-five cent inoculant. Some some people are coming in every year with a single strain and a bacteria yep. inoculant, yeah. and they're not bringing the same corn silage into the pile year after year after year. Management and weather and everything are going to change the percentage of of starch to fiber. You know, are, are going to change the amount of sugars from yep. a, a wet year to a dry year that's coming into there. And you've got one strain of bacteria that you're expecting to do all of the work to control your fermentation. Well, well let, let me let me even back up to this. You may not even know what that strain you of may, bacteria is. That no, yes, you, right. you know. I mean, so there there are guys mixing I up. I got me some of them colony units, man. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, there's guys mixing stuff up in their garage. Yeah. You know they don't know what it is. Yeah, they just they just go out and get it and they throw it in a bucket or you know how you know and 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 they put it in and oh this is good inoculant just throw it on it'll make you feel better make yeah. you sleep better tonight we we put an inoculant on here but man if a, if a guy can't come in and tell you tell you what that inoculant's doing for you you know I don't care so it's it's kind of like it's kind of like corn there is nothing that is more expensive on a farm than cheap corn man. You know, and there is nothing more expensive on a farm than than you know for corn silage than than a cheap inoculant. Yeah, and um, and so so being able to you will you will lose less money by spending a little more on your inoculant and your silage cover. You want you want several strains of bacteria in yep. that inoculant that you're going to use so that you can take advantage of any of the differences or discrepancies that are going to take place from year to year in yep. your in your silage that you're bringing to the plate or field to field mm-hmm. you know that we bring in you know with, with, that we're using that inoculant on and then one of the things that I've found out that really excites me about inoculants more than anything is that there are certain inoculants out there that can actually enhance the value yep. of the silage that you bring in because they're making more of the sugars available yep. in that plant and so that's that's kind of a cool thing. And I think that if if all of our farms understood that when you're looking at 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 and, and I've, you, I've I've mentioned this to you before, but if you're looking at milk per ton, mm-hmm. and and I know mm-hmm. that milk yeah. per ton is no, milk, milk per ton milk per ton is a good indicator. Well, it's 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 just an indicator. It's yep. just a tool. It's not it's not as effective as what your index is. I mean, I I have much appreciation for what you've accomplished with designing the index that you use to analyze what what what. Silage yeah. is going Thank to you. do in terms of milk, but if you just increase your milk per ton from thirty-two hundred pounds of milk per ton to thirty-three hundred pounds of milk per ton, you 
far more than paid for the seed cost. Right. You paid for seed cost and part of your fertility bill. And part of your fertility bill and 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 then preserving that with a good inoculant you 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 know you if you if you go if you go into you go into the bunk with with thirty three hundred pounds of milk per ton uh, corn silage you want to preserve that you don't want to lose that yeah you know and and so so let's 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 manage let's manage these um uh, let's manage this corn silage once we're once well, these we're things in that you're talking storage. about you're talking about moving down your backing down your planting populations to increase your feed quality while still maintaining your yield you're talking about in you know being able to harvest the kind of corn that can that can help yield better and more efficient components in 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 the mm-hmm. uh, in the tank you're talking about issues of 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 not just management um, but that can overall increase that that milk per ton several different things with the with the preservatives and and that and 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 and, and you can make tremendous differences in 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 milk per ton not just move that needle from from and, and maybe your maybe your corn size is twenty eight hundred pounds of milk per yeah. ton. Move it to twenty nine or move it to three thousand. But but it, it makes a tremendous amount of difference in income. It does tremendous, it, tremendous amount, amount uh, definitely, definitely. So um, you know one of the other things we, you, you know you're talking milk per ton. We get that from testing, and and I think there, I, I think that there is um, you know one of the things that I will always tell a guy is test your corn silage, test your feed stuff, you know. Test your soybean meal. It you know soybean. Not all soybean meals are created equal. Not all. Not all ten feet of a bunker is is the same. Let's That's right. you know. Let's testing, testing, testing. Let's see where we're at, and then that way we can manage our TMRs better. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that TMR management is probably one of the areas that um that that could definitely use attention on most farms that I've been on. You know, making sure that that TMR is is tested and we know exactly what that is, making sure that that it is consistent, you know, and and, um, you know, you you and I, we've both heard the horror stories, man, we're we're making we're making 100 pounds of milk during the week. And all of a sudden on the weekend, we're only making 85 and we don't know what's going on. And and, and what and what is it? It's it's the it's the different guy who's feeding yeah. and he's not paying attention or, or, or whatever. But but the consistency of the TMR you you you've you've got all you've got all of these feedstuffs, you you you've got them tested, you you know what they are, but then if we just kind of laxadaisically haphazardly putting them in the TMR and say oh I think this looks good or I think that looks good oh maybe we, oh I can you know oh I can cut a little bit of this and put a little more of the if if we are not consistent with that then then we are not maximizing that all of that stuff that we have yeah. And, and a guy and a guy really needs to. I think he needs to be testing that. He needs to have uh, good SOPs for for feeding, standing standard operating procedures for for feeding, and knowing exactly how we're going to do this and what time we're, timing also is part of that. Knowing exactly what time that we're going to do this, and it's these. It's it's sometimes it's these really small things, like we said, that make a big difference. Even though it was a small thing that we managed or tweaked a little bit more, that we really made a difference on. On uh, on the income over that feed cost. Your nutritionist one on one class that you went to. The first thing that you're, the first thing that the guy in front of the the professor in front of the class said is there's the, there's these three things that you need to consider. Number one, that's the diet that you that you put together. Absolutely. Number two is the diet that the that the guy mixing the feed you know actually <laughs> actually puts, actually puts together. And no, and number three, what did the cow actually? What eat? did the cow actually get and eat? You're exactly right. So 
Exactly yeah. right. And making sure... Manage that consistency. Ooh, yeah. It, and who but, likes to clean a bunk, you know? I, you're right. And and so, but it but it's those small things that in a in a milk market like this that are really going to determine the good guys, the guys who are going to stay in business and the guys who are not. It's very interesting out there on the farm and the people that we come in contact with and the, and and we 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 this is a this is a good dairyman and this is a this is a you know not as good a dairyman. Today there're not many guys out there that aren't what we classify good, good dairy. You're exactly you know, they're, right. They're good producers that are out there. But some of us are better at animal husbandry and care for the cows. Yeah. Some of us are better at, at some of those mechanical things like delivering the, the, the feeds and, and mixing feeds and putting those things together. Main, you know, taking care of calves and, and heifer development. And some of us are good at raising crops, you know? And it's nice when you've got when you've got the mixture, the yep. team on You're the right. farm that's good for all of those things. Well, and, you know, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, knowing where my strengths are and my weaknesses are. Here, here, here. You know, no, and, and being able to to say, look, you know what? I I, I, I love, so I'm, I'll just talk about me. I love cows, right? I love cows. But for me to be day in, day out, detailed in what goes into a TMR would, would drive me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, did I? Oh, oh, you know, I'm like, well, I got a few more pounds of this. I, I would be, I would not be good at that. Right. You know, but Hey, put me in with cows and checking cows and, 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 you know, that's, that's something completely different. Um, because that's where my passion is. And that's what, that's, that's where I, that's where I'm, that's where I, that's what drives me. But there are guys who are who are very detailed oriented, who who would who could go in and feed, and finding that guy who is not like me to go in and feed is 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 as important as, as me is me taking care of the cows and making sure I've got good strong healthy cows with good genetics. You see, I'll I'll be out there on the tractor and I'll raise your crops. Yeah, you know I'll, I'll be the one that'll get to crop harvest in a timely fashion. I'll be the one that makes sure that we've got a good stand out there. I'll be yep. the one that, that makes sure the fertility's up. You know that that's the thing that I want to do. I, I you know the the the, the chores and the milking every day I, that would drive me nuts. Yeah. So. You know, it's finding that right mix and that right team that just as you talked about, take advantage of my strengths and, and allow someone else to come along and take advantage of my weaknesses. Yeah, and 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 know that cover my weaknesses. Co- cover my weaknesses and and know that that we can work together and, and produce a, a finely oiled machine that's that's really that's really going to be able to to maximize profitability. Sure. And um, and so yeah, um, you know, a couple other things here that I that I had to talk about. I was reading an article this week. That was talking about alternative protein sources, mm. and and there and you know and and so I think you know you talk to guys about what 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 protein they're using. Well, it's soybeans, you know, soybean meal, you know, and um, but I, but there's some other things out there that I think sometimes you know looking at watching commodity prices, seeing what's going up and down, and there is nothing that frustrates a nutritionist more than switching feedstuffs, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but at times we need to make sure that our nutritionist is using. The, the most appropriate um, concentrates for what for what's going on right there. You know, back back in the day, you know, most nutritionists came came from where? It came from the feed mill. Feed mill. Yeah, we, we're seeing more and more independent in, independent nutritionists these days. And not that there's anything wrong with the nutritionist that comes from a feed mill. Right. There are there are excellent guys out there who 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 work hard for the for the feed mill and and you know. 
uh, what we have to be careful of is that are you are you working as hard for the farm as you are for the feed mill? And that's where they caught the black eye. But you're right. There's a lot of really, I mean, a lot of really just good really really good nutritious out there. But sometimes we need to we need to we need to look at maybe some some different alternatives uh, for that. And and so there was an article actually it was in um, it was in Feed Strategy. If any of you guys out there, uh, I'm you know I'm I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that that read Feed Strategy. Maybe, maybe three of us, <laughs> but you know, three of us that are at least listening in on 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 this. But you know, there there were some things that I had never thought about. Uh, one of them was palm kernel meal. You know, there's a lot of palm palm oil that the guys are putting in, in rations, and there's a lot of that. And I had I had never even thought about that that palm kernel meal. You know, what are we doing after we crush these kernels? What are we What are we doing after we extract these this oil? Uh, you know, you know, finding maybe finding a source for some some of that. Uh, you know, we talk about sunflowers. You know, there's a lot of times that we canola. Canola is is one of those things. And just watching the commodity market up and down and seeing and seeing where where we can get those those cheaper sources of protein. I mean, protein is one of the most expensive parts of the diet that we've got today. But but we also need to make sure that we work with our nutritionists uh-huh. to make sure that that amino acid package that mm-hmm. we're putting together with those proteins cuz protein isn't just protein. Protein is not just protein. And 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 we need to be able to to look at and and balance those amino acids and, 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 and provide them in the necessary levels that we need to maximize production. In addition, you know, we're looking at rumen degradable, you know, rapid R- rumen degradable bypass proteins yep. that we need to that we need to uh, balance as well. So I mean, uh, you you're you have a good point. There's some there's some unique opportunities out there right now that maybe we're not exploring in some of the geography that we're in, and we probably need to. I'll I'll, I'll but then uh, check check and see if they fit. Check it check and see if they fit. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. Um, but it kind of goes back to that that old saying: if, if I, um, you know, do the same old thing the same old way, I'm gonna get the same the old results. results. Yeah. And um, you know, if, if I'm looking to tweak things and I'm looking to improve things, you know, looking at that, here, I'll, I'll I'm gonna throw this one out and see and see how many guys see if we get any comments about this. I, I one of the things that we probably ought to watch for for a cheaper um, uh, protein source next year will be a cottonseed meal. Uh, there's a lot of guys down in Texas that are uh, that are planting more cotton this year and less corn, and uh, and I just wonder if there won't be an in, influx of, of of good cheap cottonseed meal, not cho- not cottonseed holes, right? I mean, we're talking about cottonseed meal yeah. that uh, that that may be a, a good source of income in the um, in, in the next year. We are, we, you know. Uh, a lot of dairies are very familiar with this because they're they're they buy in most all of their their feed ingredients, right. and so they're used to working the commodity market, the and those exchanges, and used to balancing those prices and and uh, and working with them. And some of the rest of us are not. You know, we we get we get uh, we we you know we we've always put in uh, you know two or three pounds of whole cotton, or we've always put in you know uh, uh, a couple pounds of of holes or, you know, whatever right. that is, but we need to begin to look at the cost of those and how effectively and efficiently that they're being used in our diets. No That's doubt. Good point. Good no point. doubt. So, yeah, so I so I think this I think this this thing about maximizing income over feed costs is something that uh you know, I, I think I do think guys are looking at it. I think that this that this is not something that everybody's going. Oh, I never thought about this. But sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes we just need a little <laughs> reminder. You know, oh yeah, I, I need to think about this continually and not just not just you know 
every six months or 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 what or uh, you know or or when the checkbook gets a little tight or something like that. But but really um, really looking to maximize that, I think I think is really important on on dairies these days. Let's look at what's available for us. Let's look at what the situation that we're in. If we've got enough ground, then let's begin to settle on what is ideal yep. and use that as a goal to work towards that. Yep. Let's begin to use some of the other tools that are available for us that we can increase the the quality of that feed stuff. That we can that we can uh, maximize the efficiency of that feed stuff. Let's begin to look at how we can preserve it and and and, and maintain that. Let's continue to chip away. On on that because doggone it, if if we're sitting at a at a place where 65-70% of our cost is coming from those those yeah. from that from that feed cost, then we've got to figure out the different ways that we can maximize that. And and, and a good nutritionist is going to be a really your best friend, you know, in terms yep. of being able to maximize that. But but chase this thing from one end to the other. You know, comb through it. Right. You know, I mean uh, from 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 our perspective, you know, we we think that you know that the corn for, that you're using for silage, and then that which you can keep back for grain mm-hmm. is going to make a huge difference yes. for you. Uh, but all of, some of these other things that we talked about as well, you know, are going to be going to be yep. important to be able to to maximize that difference. Because if you could move from that 3,200 pounds of milk per ton, you know, that it seems to be industry average. Yeah. Now, I, you and I, you and I've seen a lot of samples come in at twenty seven, twenty eight hundred pounds of right. milk per ton, where guys, you know, are just not getting the job done. Well, and you know, and part of that's geographically also, and and weather related. Yeah, but know? but I, but yes, you're you're exactly right. But if thirty two hundred pounds of milk per ton is exactly. the, is the national is the average, average right. lab to lab average, yeah, you know, and they, and those things are, I mean, those things are differences from lab to lab, but but still, but still fairly yeah. standard. And then if you could produce. Super Bowl quality feed at thirty seven hundred pounds. Yeah, the difference in that thirty two hundred to thirty seven. This is just math. This is just math. If you can maintain the yield that you had with your thirty two hundred and increase that to thirty seven hundred, you pay for your seed cost, you pay for your all of your management for fertility costs, and you paid most of your land. You paid all of your land costs, right. and and in if you're buying the land, you made a decent payment on it. That's right. the difference. That's the difference that we're talking about. This the the, the numbers are huge. Yep. And and it's we just have to pay attention to it because as we chip away at it, fifty pounds here and fifty pounds there, by making this change, that change, the other change, and increase the quality of that feed stuff. Um, it's just it, it's a difference it, between staying in business it, and it's, not. It's absolutely the difference between that. Yeah. And small changes on a big chunk. Are big changes. That's correct. Absolutely, Lynn. Appreciate you coming in today. Man, it was fun. It was a good time. We 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 uh yeah. You you need to quit being gone so much. Wait, maybe it's you. Maybe I, maybe it's so me much. that needs yeah. to be quit gone so much. Yeah. Absolutely. So guys, we appreciate you out there listening in. Um, appreciate you listening in today. Hope that you found something valuable here. And uh, you know, always you can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, and always, always, always at seedcorn.com. Appreciate you guys out there listening. <laughs>